In Mark chapter 4, Jesus tells several parables here. And I love, I've developed more of a value and a respect for the parables lately than I've ever had before. When you listen to what Jesus says about them, every time he's using a parable, he's endeavoring to paint a picture for us. He's trying to communicate with natural words a spiritual truth. And I can almost see Jesus standing there talking to people going, how can I say this? How can I put this to you? And he says, you know, the kingdom of heaven, what's it like? What's it like? And in this particular chapter, over and over again, he says, it's like a seed. It's like a seed. The kingdom of heaven, he said, is like a seed, which is a pretty remarkable statement if you think about the bigness of the kingdom of God, the bigness of the kingdom of heaven. We're not talking about a natural kingdom. We're not talking about the kingdom of a country or a government. We're talking about the kingdom out of which all kingdoms find life. I mean, we're talking about the all-time universal greatest kingdom in all the world, in all the galaxies, and I don't even know how to say it. This is the kingdom. And to describe the kingdom, you know what Jesus used? A seed. A seed, one of the smallest things that you and I could hold in our hand. And in Mark chapter 4, he said in verse 26... He said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. Now, if you back up earlier in this chapter, this is the parable that we call the sower sows the word or the parable of the sower. And Jesus talked about a sower who went out and scattered seed. We think sometimes about planting seed, you know, we dig a little hole and we put in the seed and then we cover it up. But that's not the reference he's making here. He's talking about a guy going out into a field and having a bag of seed, grabbing a handful of it, and just throwing it, throwing it, throwing it. And that's why he said earlier in the chapter, some seed fell on this kind of ground, some seed fell on that kind of ground, some seed fell on wayside, stony ground, thorny ground, but some seed fell on what else? Anybody remember? Good ground. And you would think, well, why would somebody plant something on wayside or stony or thorny ground? Well, he just threw it. He's scattering the seed. A lot like Jesus would scatter when he would preach a message to a great big crowd of people. He would just scatter that seed and that seed would fall on different types of ground. And in verse 26, he said, the kingdom of God is as, as, as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. Verse 27, and should sleep by night and rise by day and the seed should sprout and grow. I like this next statement. He himself does not know how. Jesus said it. He himself does not know how. Doesn't know how what? He doesn't know how that seed sprouts. He doesn't know how that seed grows. But he knows it does. And that may be all he knows. He knows that when he scatters this seed and when that seed falls on good ground, it penetrates the earth, it takes root, it sprouts, it grows. He's not there. He's not underground watching this whole thing take place. He doesn't know how this tiny little seed is able to produce something that produces thousands and thousands and thousands of seeds. He doesn't understand all that, but he knows it works. He knows it happens. And the truth is, there are some things you don't have to understand. There are some things you don't have to know how they work. But you can still enjoy them. You can still put them into practice. If all you do know is that it works, then you can reap the benefit of it. I'm not an overly 
mechanically minded kind of guy. Sometimes I wish I was more so, but I don't really understand. I've never made an effort to understand the, the, works in, the workings of a car engine and, and what makes that thing function and what makes that thing run. I know there are a lot of people that do. I don't. But you know what? I did not allow that lack of understanding to stop me from getting in my car this morning and driving here. How foolish would it have been to walk out to the garage and say, no, mm -mm, I'm not getting in there. You can't make me get in there. Why not? I, I, I don't understand all that. And if I don't understand it, I'm not getting in it. Uh-uh. How foolish that would have been, right? I'd be somewhere in Woodland Park right now, sweating my face off, going, I'm coming, I'm coming. I'm Why? Walking? What? Riding a bike? I can explain that to you, maybe a little. But how foolish would it be to refuse to take advantage of something just because I don't understand it. It's not just foolish. You know what it is? It's arrogant. It is the epitome of pride to say there's no way that could be because I don't understand it. That's pride. And sadly, that is the mantra and the credo of atheists, agnostic, those who, who say... There couldn't possibly be a God. Why? Because I don't understand how there could be. It's sad. But you know what? There are some things that I believe God purposefully put in place and kept certain degrees of understanding. Why? Because He loves our faith. He loves it. He loves our faith so much. He takes such great joy in it. It pleases him like nothing else. As a matter of fact, it's impossible to please him without it. So he is so thrilled with you and so thrilled with me when we operate in his kingdom based on this revelation of the seed. I don't get it any more than most of the rest of you, but I do know that when a seed goes in the ground and when it takes root, it sprouts up, it grows, and it produces fruit. I know that. I said, I know that. And I don't know how, when I sow financially at the leadership of the Holy Spirit, when He quickens me on the inside and says, put this there and put that there and sow into this project and be a part of this church or this kingdom effort, I don't understand how when I do that, after time goes by, it just seems that the windows of heaven are opened above me and above my family, and the Lord provides for us, and I've got my family sitting right here on the front row who could attest to this. How many times has the Lord miraculously over and over and over provided for this family? Huh? I don't understand how He does it, but what a fool I would be to say, I'm not giving. I'm not sowing. I don't get all that. I don't understand all that. Okay, fine. Walk to church. But I'm going to enjoy the benefits of what God put in place. And he used this natural thing called seed sowing to paint a picture of what the entire kingdom of heaven is based on. Seed, time, and harvest. And whatever he wants to reveal, whatever he wants me to understand, I'm open to it. But I don't require it before my obedience. Oh, come on. I'm preaching to you right now. Are you listening to me? 
I don't require it before my obedience. Children are instructed to obey their parents in the Lord, for this is right. So as parents, we need to be able to say, okay, go do this. It's time to do that. Stop doing that. Start doing this. And that's not time for children to be like, why, 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 but why, 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 why? I'm not opposed to my children understanding why. What I'm opposed to is them allowing their lack of understanding of why to keep them from obeying. That's not okay. And the same thing's not okay with you and me and with God. If he gives instruction, either by his word or through the leading of his spirit, whether you understand the whole thing or not, here's where faith comes in. Here's where trust comes in. Confidence in his love. You can say, Lord, I don't get that. But I know you love me. And as you see fit, I open my heart and my mind. You unfold it to me. You explain it to me. But I'm obeying anyway. I said, I'm obeying anyway. I'm thinking about the Jacobs family sitting here on the front row. I'm thinking about the number of times, guys, over the last 365 days, about a year that we've been here. How many times has this principle proven to be true and real and faithful in your life? I know because I get a text from Chris every time it happens. (laughs) Look what God has done. And that's the way it should be. That's the way it should be. We should be sharing these things with each other. You know why? Because that stirs me up, man. That stirs my faith. And what he's done for the Jacobs, he'll do for the Pearsons. And what he's done for the Pearsons, he'll do for the Bollingers. And he'll do for the Hearts. And he'll do for you and for you and for you and for you. Because he's not a respecter of persons, but he does love faith. Amen. 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 Well, we've been involved together for a long time now in this buy up and build out project. And I'm so glad that some of you are getting to come in and starting to see some of the fruit of this labor. Uh, The Lord has been so faithful to us. We're in a 30,000 square foot building. Most of you know this by now. And we have released faith for $100 a square foot. And we believe that that when that is accomplished, we'll have on hand what it takes to get this place open, to have the sanctuary finished, have everything on the outside that's required to be done. And we are, we are really making excellent progress. Uh, last week, I reported to you online. How many have been watching online services? Anybody? Thank you. Thanks for coming to church or letting church come to you. Nothing keeps us out of the Word of God. Last week, I reported to you that we had 24,845 square feet paid for. That put us at 82.82%. But just in the last seven days, we've had another. Check this out. You ready for this? 201 square feet paid for. Glory to God. That puts us at 25,046 square feet, 83.49%, almost 83.5%. And we are making awesome progress. We had a, a big chunk come in this week and a note from the people that sent it who've been watching from uh, another place in the country and put on there, this is what we're believing God for. This is what we're sowing towards. And man, that excites me because it's only the spirit of God that that can connect people from hundreds of miles away and stir their hearts like they're standing in the same room with each other. That's a miracle. And it's also the Spirit of God that wakes us up on the inside that says, sow into this because every seed, the same principle, reproduces after its own kind. 
So they're sowing into this, believing God for some similar things in their own life, their own family. And if you're watching today, thank you. We're stirred up with you. Everybody who's sown, whether in this building or watching online, Sarah and I and our team and our staff, as that comes in, we praise the Lord for it and we pray over you. We speak the blessing of the Lord on it and we speak increase over your life and over you and your children. And we thank God for it. So if you want to be a part of this offering today, as you know, there's a number of ways you can get involved. Um, You can... For those of you watching online, you can text to give, or if you're uh, here in the building with us, you can do that as well. Just text LEGACY and any dollar amount to the number 28950, LEGACY and any dollar amount to 28950. That is going to go into the general operations of the, ch- of the church, which is an excellent place to sow as well. That takes care of the day-to-day operations. We take care of our staff. Uh, we take care of the partners and our communication with our partners, as well as our television ministry and any of the other outreaches from Legacy Church or Pearson's Ministries. But the main thing that I get so excited about with that uh, general operations account, that's where we give out of. That's where we take... Uh, over 10%. Lauren, what are we at right now? Is she in here? Uh, I think we're at maybe 13, 14% that's coming into the ministry is going right back out into others. Is that right? Uh, Into other ministries. We're sowing into places that are um, uh, ministering in other places around the world, in Bible schools, missionaries, other churches. So as the Lord leads you to sow into that, that is an excellent place to sow as well. Um, If you want to give online, you can do that at www.legacychurch.family. There's a giving page there, and you'll have the options there whether to give into the general operations or the buy up and build out project. And wherever you designate it, that's where it will go. If you're watching online today and you'd like to give via mail, there's an address I believe we can put on your screen. Uh, If not, I don't think I have. Oh, no, I don't have that for you, but it's on the website as well. Uh, Of course, if you're watching or you're here with us in the building today and you're writing a check, you can make it payable to Legacy. (sighs) This is a lot of information. Uh, Legacy Church. Or if you'd like an envelope for your giving, you can raise your hand and our ushers have some envelopes for you. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. The kingdom of God is like a seed. What a miracle a seed is. What a miracle that that small seed can contain so much life. And that's what the word is. In the seed of the word, the, the scriptures call it the incorruptible seed of the word of God. In that seed is your life, it's your salvation, it's your healing, it's your prosperity, it's your deliverance, it's your restoration. All of that is in that seed. And when it falls on good ground, it will produce some 30, some 60, and some 100 fold. So somebody say, I'm good ground. And I'll say this to you, church, as the Lord leads you uh, to sow into the other families of this church. When we talk about giving, I'm not talking about you doing all of that here. That's between you and Jesus. I said, that's between you and Jesus. You, you sow where he leads you to sow. And if the Lord just sort of shines a light on somebody or another family, maybe sitting across the room someday and just says, put a few dollars in their hand or put a a lot of dollars and whatever he says, just do it. Just do it. Don't sit there and go, yeah, but I don't understand. How does that work? If I give it away, how does it come? Shut up. Just, yes, sir. Happy to do it. Thank you for asking me and watch the word go to work. Father, we come before you this morning with our giving. We honor you with it. We worship you with it. And we ask you, Lord, to receive it, 
to see it and to receive it as a sweet-smelling aroma and a sacrifice of praise. Lord, this represents our labor. It represents our heart. Jesus, you said where our treasure is, our heart would be also. And Lord, it represents our love for you. So we sow today and we do it in faith, believing that every seed reproduces after its own kind, believing that you do see it, you do receive it. And Father, we trust you in your word that just as we plant a natural seed and it produces a harvest, when we sow to the Spirit, we reap from the Spirit everlasting life. And your word says that when the seed is planted and it's watered, that it's you who gives the increase. We believe that. We trust you. We thank you for it. Even though we may not understand all the inner workings of it, you said it, so it must be the truth. And we live our lives based on it. We worship you today, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Ushers, go ahead and wait on the people. Thank you, Lord. It's good to have our kids in here today. Adventure Club, say what's up. What's up? All right. The quietest you've ever been. Thanks so much for that. I met baby Luke today. How's Luke doing? He's doing good? Okay, tell him I said hey. And Titus is back here somewhere. Hi, Titus. Uncle Jeremy loves you, buddy. You need to meet Luke later on, later on. All right, let's get into the Word together today. Go with me to the book of Matthew chapter 12. Somebody say, thank God for His Word. In Matthew chapter 12, we read something last week that Jesus said, and we're going to look at it again today. You know, we spent weeks and weeks, months together in a series that we call Renovation Transformation. I hope you saw some of that online. And I was so thankful that the Lord led us in that the way he did to use what's going on naturally around us to help us understand what's supposed to be going on on the inside of us. And we looked at Romans chapter 12 for months together, week after week. Uh, that talked about uh, allowing our minds to be renewed so that our lives can be transformed. We're transformed by the renewing of our minds. Of course, you remember if you watched any of that, that the word renewing literally means renovation, which is exactly what we've been involved in in here. Uh, From one end of this building to another, a renovation. And the idea is that when the renovation's done, then the transformation will be visible. But that same thing naturally is supposed to be what's going on inside us, in our hearts, in our minds, that when this is renovated, that transformation shows up on the outside. And people look at you and say, man, who are you? You are not the guy. You are not the girl I used to know. What has happened to you? And you just say, in a word, Jesus. You know, but you you get deeper into it. And it's the transformation, the renovation of the mind, the way you think that transforms your life. And we talked so much about that week after week. And I really believe that the Lord led us last week into something new. And since that time up until now, this has grown and grown and grown in my heart. And I don't want to overstate this, but I feel like what you and I are about to get into as a church is so critical. 
in these days leading up to the opening of our sanctuary where it's more than just this core team that's here, but it's the people from the community around us. I know that there are people moving here from other places across the United States. I wouldn't be surprised to meet people who come here from around the world. I know the Lord's going to do that because this is a local church with a global call. And I believe that the Lord's going to add to us from the community around us, but from the world that we're in. And I'm stirred up up and excited about it, but these days leading up to that are so critical for us. Those of you in the room, those of you watching online, this is so important. And what Jesus said here in Matthew chapter 12, I believe speaks to this body. I believe it speaks to the body, the body of Christ, which we are a part of. But I am astounded, guys. I am, I am, for lack of a better word, blown away this week. As I look to the Word of God, and I shouldn't be shocked by this, but I cannot find a better commentary on what's going on in our nation and the world around us than the Word of God. I'm telling you, Jesus answered all of it. The Word has a solution. It addresses all of it. And we may touch on some of it today, but just sitting there, I mean, I spent all day yesterday looking at scripture after scripture after scripture, and it was way too big to get into just today. So for the first time in my life as a minister, I feel like the Lord is just saying, here's the the roadmap over the next several weeks, maybe the next several months for us together. But this is so critical. And I'm not trying to overstate it. This isn't intended to be hyperbole or to something just to work you up. But I am trying to get us on the same page together today. So I'm asking you to open your heart and your mind to the word with a sensitivity and an awareness of where we are together. Not just me, not just you, but where we are together. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 22. It says, then one was brought to him who was, listen to the condition this guy was in, demon possessed, which would stink to start with blind on top of that, and mute. This guy is in rough shape. To be blind would be hard. To be unable to speak would be hard. But to be blind and mute, I think, would be challenging on a level that most of us have no idea. And add to it that it's not just a physical disability, that it's being driven by a demonic spirit, this guy is in rough shape. It says, they brought to him one who was demon-possessed, blind and mute. And I love the next statement. Listen to it. And he healed him. That's it. He healed him. I have so come to appreciate the Bible's lack of dramatic fanfare. Because we get so accustomed to needing a big show to keep us engaged, to keep us locked in. This is why the the movie industry doesn't just choose to, they have to. They have to spend hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in an effort to keep you focused for like an hour and a half. They have to. Because the nature of of the soul of man is so easily distracted. But I love that the Bible doesn't acquiesce to that, doesn't bow to that. Here comes a guy, and we don't have a big long spiel. We don't have a big story. It's not dramatic. He's in rough shape. They brought him to the right place, and Jesus healed him. Ta, 
Duh. I mean, that was it. That was it. Because that's what Jesus does. And nobody is so far gone. Nobody is in such sad shape that they are beyond the healing touch of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Hey, people are going to be coming to this place. They're going to be coming in rough, rough on the outside, rough, brokenhearted on the inside. But they're not too far gone for Jesus. Amen. So he healed them so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. And all the multitudes were amazed and said, could this be the son of David? Now the Pharisees heard it and said, This fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. Which makes great sense, doesn't it? No, Jesus called them on it. Verse 25, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom, everybody say kingdom, kingdom. divided against itself is brought to desolation. Every city, say city, city. or house, say house. Divided against itself will not stand. Jesus said every kingdom divided, every city divided, every house divided against itself will not stand. And what is really attention grabbing to me about this is that in one statement, in one sentence, Jesus identifies every level of society from the highest places in government, the kingdom, all the way down to the house next door. And Jesus said, whether you're talking about a kingdom or a city or a house, either one of them, any of them, if they're divided against themselves, they won't stand. Now, we're not talking about an attack from the outside. We're not talking about a kingdom being attacked by another kingdom. We're not talking about a city coming under siege from another city. And we're not talking about a house being attacked by something outside the house. All of this is from within. It's from within the kingdom. It's from within the city. It's from within the house. And what you see is that same spirit of strife and division that is working overtime to tear apart our own government, our own kingdom, if you will, of the United States of America, that same spirit of strife is the exact same stinking stuff that's at work in the house down the street. It's no different. It's no different because this is Satan's entire plan. Oh, thank God for Jesus. You can win a fight so easily if you know exactly what the enemy's going to do. Yeah. It's, it's in not knowing the plan yeah. where we fail to succeed. Mm-hmm. This is why the scripture told us, don't be ignorant of the devil's devices. Jesus is unfolding Satan's entire plan here because it ain't deep. It's not profound. Mm-hmm. You know what he wants to do? It's a three-part plan. Deceive, divide, and destroy. Mm-hmm. If he can deceive the people of the house into believing that the other people in the house are the problem, that they're the enemy. If they'll believe that lie, then he can divide the house. And we see from what Jesus said, if he can divide it, he can destroy it. But see, I hear good news in this. The good news is if we won't be deceived, then we can't be divided. 
And if we can't be divided, then he cannot destroy us. Amen? What I want you to see in this today is that Satan, just like God is not a respecter of persons, Satan, he doesn't care. He doesn't care what place or position somebody holds. He doesn't care if it's a president or a prime minister or a police officer or just a person in the city. He doesn't care if it's a husband or a wife. He doesn't care if they're famous or if they're nameless. He doesn't, he doesn't care if it's pastor and pew as long as he can get in between. As long as he can get in between and start creating some separation, start creating some division. He doesn't care. So don't think that you or anybody else or me or any of us are exempt from his attempt to divide us. Don't think, well, I'm not a famous preacher, so why would he try to do that? I'm not a, I'm not a politician. I'm not a president. I'm not a... No, he doesn't care. It's the same stupid stuff working in the kingdom that's working in the city that's working in the house. Yeah. This is the way the Lord said it to me. From the halls of Congress to City Hall to the hallway between your bedroom and bathroom. He is trying his best to deceive, divide, and destroy. But if he can't deceive, then he can't divide. So the only way to keep you and I from being deceived is to know the truth. To know the truth. What happens when you know the truth? What's the truth do for you? It will set yourself free free. Thank you, Lord. So Jesus is identifying some of these things for us, saying, here's Satan's whole plan. And it really is pretty interesting if you keep reading. We won't take the time to do it today, but Jesus did say in verse 26, if Satan casts out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? Pretty interesting that Jesus, as an illustration of a kingdom that is not divided, used Satan's kingdom. What do you think Satan knows firsthand about this? He tried it. I said he tried it. He tried to divide the kingdom. He said, I will exalt my throne above the heights of the stars, and I will be like the most high. There's only one problem with that. If you've got the most high, and then you got somebody else who's also the most high, then this one's not the most high anymore. And God was like, I'm not having that. The judgment was swift and it was severe. But he got cast down in his attempt to divide the kingdom. But God was saying, I'm not about to have my kingdom divided. You think about it, you and I have a part in every level that Jesus identified. We are a part of a kingdom, but not just a kingdom, an unshakable kingdom. We are a part of a city, but not just a city. We're a city set on a hill. We are a shining example. Amen. That the world needs now more than it ever has. And we are a part of the household of faith. And you and I can't do a whole lot. Our, well, I got to be careful how I say this, but as far as what the unbelieving and godless world does there's going to be division. And we have a part, we are a part of the remedy in that we can pray, in that we can stand for righteousness. But when it comes to what goes on in this house, when it comes to what goes on in your house, you have a lot to do with that atmosphere. 
We have a lot to do with this atmosphere. And as the leaders of this church, Sarah and I are going to go ahead and say it right now, there will be no division in this place. I can't speak for the government of the United States. I can vote what I believe. I can pray. But when it comes to this house, we are undivided. Think about it. Division. Division. The prefix die literally means two or twofold. And even though the word is, it's a, it's a uh, mathematical term, but just take it apart. Take it literally. Die vision, two visions. What if I came into this place with one vision of where this house was headed and Sarah came in with a different vision of where this house was headed? That's die vision. That's two visions. And it leaves everybody confused, right? And this house isn't going to stand. But there's not two visions. We're united. We're united with the Lord. We're united together. We're united with our team and our staff. And we're inviting you to be in on this one vision for this place too. Because what we're building here is not just a building. It's not just an organization or an institution. We're building a house. We are building a house, a home for a family, God's family, the family of faith. And this house will stand. I said, this house will stand. But if we have any hope for it standing, there's no place for division. Amen. 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 I want to take just a minute and just read to you some scriptures concerning unity. I want you to find John 17, but let me read this to you while you're looking for that from the book of Psalms. Psalm 133. You're going to John 17. Everybody happy? Okay. Y'all are going to have to get a lot more chatty than this. (laughs) It's all right. I can handle it. In Psalm 133, just three verses here in this psalm. It's a song of David says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is for the brethren. That's a specific group of people, isn't it? That's not everybody in the world. And honestly, it's a futile attempt to try to get everybody in the world to dwell together in unity because we have to have something that we can agree on. Best of luck to you making everybody agree on something. But he said how good and how pleasant it is for brethren. That's you. That's me. That's family to dwell together in unity. And then he said, this is what it's like. It's like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. He said unity's like that oil. Now, if you go back and look at what that oil was all about, that oil, God literally gave Moses the recipe for that oil. And he said, here's how I want you to make it. Here's what I want you to put in it. And he put certain spices in it, certain fragrances in it, and myrrh, cinnamon, different things. And when that oil, when Aaron was anointed with it, it it wasn't just a visual thing. It it affected the senses beyond just what you could see. There was an aroma to it. It smelled good. I said it smelled good. Let me me ask you this. If, If unity smells good, what's that tell you about strife? Huh? What is it? Thank you. It stinks. It stinks. 
There are some things that you and I don't interact with in that physical sense, but God does. There are things that come before Him as a sweet-smelling aroma. And there are things that are like a stench in His nostrils. And one of them is strife. So if unity smells good, then you know strife stinks. Somebody say it. Strife stinks. He said unity in verse 3 is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. There is a blessing commanded from God on our unity, on our house undivided. I believe that's what the Lord's leading me to call this new series, a house undivided. There's a blessing commanded there. The blessing is life, life forevermore. He said it's like this dew that fell on Mount Hermon. You got to remember in Israel, so much of it is desert. And this particular mountain that they're talking about is one of, if not the highest peak in, in places all around that. And he's talking about the dew at that elevation that would fall. I mean, think about coming from a desert atmosphere, dry, no fruit, barren. And you come up that mountain and in the morning, it's anything but dry. There's that thick, heavy dew. It's so refreshing. It's so refreshing. I mean, is it just me or is anybody else just worn out from all the strife and the division that we're having to watch day in, day out? It's why I've turned it off. Why? Because strife is exhausting. Strife is fatiguing. Strife is debilitating. Strife will just flat wear you out. If you've ever been engaged in, in a knockdown, drag out with somebody, it, it can drag on so long and temperatures and, and, and uh, tempers so high that you stop in the middle of it and you go, what are we fighting about? And they go, I don't know. <laughs> How'd you even start the fight? What did it even start, start over? I don't know. I just know we're fighting. It just will wear you out. Strife is exhausting. Unity is refreshing. Amen. Unity is encouraging. Yeah. You know this, parents with kids. You know what it does to the atmosphere of the house if kids are picking at each other and nagging at each other. You also know the difference when they're getting along. Yeah. You love it when they're getting along. We love it when the kids are loving each other. Where do you think we get that? God loves it when his kids are dwelling together in unity. It's refreshing. Now think about somebody coming into this place who has been in an atmosphere in their own home day in, day out for who knows how long. Maybe that first year of marriage that was rough didn't get any better. And it's just been one fight after another, constant tension to the point where they're thinking, is this even worth it? I'm about a half step from done. And they step in to an atmosphere of unity. And they breathe it in. And it's like coming in from a desert into a cool place, into a place where it's refreshing and there's moisture there and there's life there. That's what he said this unity is like. Amen? Amen. Did you find John 17? Listen to what Jesus said about it. 
This is such a special prayer because this is just moments before Jesus is arrested, before He's tried and sentenced and condemned to the cross. And He is in conversation with His Father. And He's praying, and I want you to begin reading in verse 6. Just hang on with me for a few more minutes. He said in verse 6, again, Jesus praying, talking to the Father, I have manifested Your name to the men whom you have given to me. I want you to notice how many times Jesus uses that expression in talking to God in reference to what God has given to him as a gift. He said, I manifested your name to the men that you've given to me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I've given to them the words which you have given me. So now he's not just talking about the the men, the individuals that God gave to him as a gift. Now he's talking about the words that God gave to him as a gift. Folks, this is humility. This is the acknowledging that I don't have anything good that did not come as a gift from God. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness, there is no shadow of turning. Jesus is acknowledging everything I have. My Father, you gave it to me as a gift. That'll change the way you see the things in your life. It'll change the way you see the people in your life. Jesus says these people, not just the words, but the people you gave to me, they're a gift. He said, uh, continuing in verse 8, They have received them, talking about the words, and you've known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. Somebody say, I pray for them. them. Listen to this. I do not pray for the world. Well, you can say that too if you want. I do not pray for the world, he said, but for those whom you have given to me. He said, for they are yours. Verse 10, all mine are yours and yours are mine and I'm glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father. Listen to this. This is his prayer. Keep through your name those whom you have given me. That's got to be the fourth or fifth time just in these few verses that Jesus said to the Father, you gave them to me. He's acknowledging how these people came into his life. How did they come? A gift from God. He said, you gave them to me. Now listen to this. Back up about halfway through verse 11 again. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me that they may be one as we are. Now skip down to verse 20. He said, I do not pray for these alone but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So this prayer, this group that he's praying for, just got a whole lot bigger. It was just the ones, the disciples, the apostles, right? He said, I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for the ones you gave me. But then he says, now I'm not just praying for them. But in verse 20, he said, I'm praying for uh, those who will believe in me Through their word. Now who's he praying for? Me. You. 
Jesus just, just sort of quantum leaped through time and quit just praying for those that were there. And he started praying for you and for me, everybody behind us, everybody yet to come after us, who will believe in him through their word. That is to say, I believe that he died for me and rose again, and I call him Lord. Now he's praying for you too. But listen to what he's praying. I pray, verse 21, that they all may be, say it with me, one. One. Not two, not three, not 4,000, not 75 million. One. Now he's praying for a lot of people, but he's praying that they'd be one. That they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Our unity is proof that Jesus is who he said he is. Our togetherness, our lack of division is proof to this world there is a God and that Jesus is his son. It's proof. He said in verse 22, the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. I mean, how many times has he said this over and over? I in them and you in me that they may be made perfect in one that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. My God, that's big. It's proof of his love. Our unity, our oneness is proof there is a God. It's proof that Jesus is his son and proof that not only is there a God, but he's a God of love. Our love for each other proves that. Verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you've given me. For you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. So Jesus' prayer for his disciples and for you, for me, just moments before the cross is focused on one thing, our unity, our oneness. I want Jesus' prayer to be answered. I'm in agreement with Jesus. I'm coming into agreement with him. Jesus, I'm adding my faith to yours that we would be one. One. Not divided, not two, not three, not a bunch, not even a few. One. He wants us as one. I was seeking the Lord about this. I thought, Lord, how, how do you do that? It's hard enough sometimes to get two people to be one. How much harder could it be to get hundreds or thousands or however many to live and to function as one. What are the steps, Lord? What are the practicalities of becoming one? You notice that's always our inclination. Show me what to do. We have such a tendency to want to know what to do, 
How do I do that? And we're looking for natural steps. We're looking for physical things that we can put into practice. Seven steps to a healthy marriage. Six keys to financial increase. We got keys for everything. We got steps for this and that. And I'm not saying there's something wrong with steps. We walk by faith. But what we can't forget is that every natural thing has a spiritual root. And it has to be addressed spiritually first. So you go back to what Jesus was even doing here. What's he doing? Praying. Mm -hmm. He's praying. Even now saying it, I can tell it's, it's like so simple that it gets past us. Don't let it get past you. What's he doing? First of all, the very first thing he's doing is acknowledging that the people in his life are there as a gift from God. This is, if you want a step, here's a step. Acknowledge that the people in the home are there as a gift from God. Amen. And it'll start changing the way you see each other. It'll change the way you talk to each other. It'll change the way you treat each other. Husbands, look at your wives right now. Say, you're a gift. You're a gift. Wives, look back at your husband. Say, you're a gift. gift. Look at your kids. Say, you're you're a gift. gift. That changes things. It changes the way you see them. These came as a gift from God. What do you do with that? This is not something to be treated lightly or with disdain. This is someone to be valued. The king of all the universe, the creator of heavens and earth, the giver of life, saw fit to give these gifts to you. And how many times did we hear Jesus just say, you gave them to me, you gave them to me, you gave them to me. Just in a few verses. How many times a day are we saying it? This this would fix the strife in a home in a hurry. Take a time out from the fight. Go get with the Lord and acknowledge out loud. They are a gift from you. Forgive me for not treating them as such. It'll shut it down so fast. But it's not just family. These guys weren't blood related to Jesus. Look around at each other. I know we're just a handful in here this morning. We've got people online, but I can see it. I can see it so clearly. The day when that sanctuary is full, we got 400, 500 people sitting in there, and we got to get those 500 out because the next 500 are coming in for the next service. But I will stand there as the pastor and leader of this church and look from that platform and say, Father, thank you for who you've given me. And we'll look at each other and say, I'm here and you're here. And if we're here at the leadership of the Spirit and by the direction of God Himself, we're a gift to each other. We're a gift to one another. But on the heels of that revelation, what was Jesus' prayer? That they would be one. That they would be one, that we would be one. So how do we address spiritually? How do we start spiritually so that it produces natural, physical, visible results, oneness in the family, oneness in the house, a house undivided. Here it is. It's real deep. Are you ready? Pray, Christian. Pray. Holy Spirit-filled person. What's the Spirit of God doing in you anyway? If we're not praying, pray. Now, I'm so thankful 
for so many of the friendships and relationships I have in my room, in this room, first of all, with my wife. So much of our conversation every day for the past nearly 13 years of my life and hers has been about God the plan of God, the will of God, seeking God. What's he want done? What does he want to do with our lives? What does he want to do with our family? We talk all the time about God. I'm thinking about my brother-in-law, Jordan, sitting back back there, whom I've been getting to know exactly as long as I've been getting to know Sarah. I met them on the same day. And he and I traveled the world together. And I think back on all the time, days, weeks, months that we've spent together collectively. And so much of our conversation has been about God. His plan, how he wants to do things. What what does God desire for our lives? What's his word say about this? What's his word say about that? My newer friends, one sitting here and across the room. Chris, how much of our conversation, brother, has been about God and the things of God and the will of God? And it's good that you and I talk to each other about God. But there's another side of that. It's not okay for me to talk for, for me to just talk to Sarah about God. At some point, I need to start talking to God about Sarah. All right. yeah. As her other half, I mean, we're one. We're together. And part of my responsibility in this house, in this friendship, this relationship, is not to just talk to my wife about God, but to talk to my God about my wife. I don't just talk to my kids, Justice and Jesse, about God. I mean, we spend every day in our home. It comes up. We start our day with the Word. We end our day with it. We're talking to them about the things of God, doing everything we know to bring them up, raise them in this household of faith. But it's not enough, parents, just to talk to the kids about God. You need to be in the face of God talking about them. In my house, I'm, I'm usually the first one up by a little bit. I beat Sarah maybe just a little bit, and I'm sitting out in the living room. Kids are asleep. She's quiet in the room, and I'm talking to the Lord. But just in recent months, and I don't know why, God forgive me, it's taken me this long to develop this habit. But when I start praying, it starts with the gifts of the people He put in my life. Lord, I thank you for Sarah. And I start talking to the Lord about her. You know, unless he leads in a different way, it's not long. I declare the word over. I thank God for making her strong. I thank God for making her well and whole and and fulfilling his plan in her life. I pray over her a little bit. Then I go to justice and I go to Jesse and I talk to the Lord about their callings and their life and their health and their success. And then I talk to the Lord about our our team, our staff and, and thanking the Lord for them. And then it goes out from there to the partners of our ministry and the con- now the congregation of this church. Yeah, yeah. It's not enough as your pastor to stand here and talk to you about God. If I truly love you and we're going to be one with each other, at some point I got to start talking to God about you. So and you do the same for me and your family and anybody that the Lord has given to you. Yes. He gave them to you as a gift. We don't just talk to each other about Him. We talk to Him about each other. And and having looked at this, this is what I was telling you was really rocking my world over the last few days. What I've been missing as a part of my prayer over them, but as a part of it now, is that we would be one. We would be a house undivided. So now I'm adding that to my prayer over my wife. Lord, 
that we would be one. Indivisible. With, with my children, that we would be one. Yeah. With my friends and with my staff and with my team and with my partners and with my congregation, that we would be one. Yeah. In unity together. A house undivided. Because if a house divided can't stand, the good news is a house undivided, come on, help me out, church, can't fall. Can't fall. And as long as Sarah and I refuse to let anything between us, this is a house undivided. You're here in John. Turn back to Matthew 19. I'll begin to wrap it up with this. That we may be one. That needs to be our prayer too. Matthew chapter 19. Look at what is going on here in verse 3. We're going to look at the words of Jesus again. The Pharisees also came to him, talking about Jesus, testing him and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. I want you to read this next statement with me. And the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. The King James says, let no man put asunder. What I'm wanting you to get today as we look at these scriptures is just a beginning taste of what's in the heart of God concerning our unity, our togetherness, our oneness. And he used the picture of a man and a woman, a husband and a wife in a home to paint what unity really looks like. And these religious people came to him, testing him concerning divorce. And there's so many deep things that are taking place here. Their question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? I don't know if they realized it or not, or if you do or not, but what Jesus said in his response elevated the value of a woman to a place that she wasn't previously in their eyes. See, what they're thinking is women are property. You you own them, and if you want to be done, you can give her this divorce for any reason. And Jesus said, "Have have you not read that he made both of them? See, this is the source of our value. And we both come from the same place. And he said he made him male, he made him female, so that a man should leave his father and mother and join himself to his wife and that the two should become how many? That the two should really try to maintain their own identities and maintain their own personalities and maintain every characteristic that makes them different, that they'd be one. 
Now I realize we have differences and difference in personalities, but what Jesus is saying here is when two things become one, whatever identity they held previously is swallowed up in this new one. Yeah. And that's what was supposed to happen when you were born again. That whatever identity you held before, whether it was the identity you came from, the family you came from, the nationality you were, the ethnicity you were, all of that, you don't quit being that except that it is swallowed up in your oneness with God, in your unity with Him. So when this one stood at an altar on September 1st, 2007 in the Ozark Mountains of Missouri with this one. We stood there in the eyes of God and in the presence of God and these two became one. We became one. And what Jesus said here was what let God join together, let no man, King James says, put asunder. New King James says, separate. If you look up the word asunder, this is really powerful. It literally means To put room between. Put space between. What God has joined together, don't let anybody put space back between them. Amen, Luke? Thank you, buddy. I appreciate it. You're the only one shouting today, so come on. What God has made one, don't let anybody put space between. But that doesn't just apply to a marriage relationship, does it? I'm standing here today telling you, I believe with my whole heart that God joined me to you. And He joined me to you. And He joined you to me. And I'm committing to you, and Sarah and I are committing to you as the leaders and the pastors of this church. As far as and as much as depends on us, we're not letting space between us. I'm not letting room get between us. And if Sarah and I have ever been at odds with each other, fussing or fighting over something, it's like you can feel it. It's, you can sense it. It's the, the, the oneness is being torn. And as long as you have two separate things, they can exist as two separate things. But once they become one, if they're going to be two again, then a tearing and a ripping has to take place. And it stinks and it hurts. And in the context of a marriage... It can go so far that it's literally and legally called a separation. The two were one, but there's been a ripping and a tearing, and now there's space between them. I'm saying no space between us. I'm saying we don't let things between us. I'm saying we have nothing between us but Jesus himself and the love of God. When David and Jonathan, the scripture says that God knit their souls together. So see, this isn't just a marriage relationship. This is a friendship. This is a covenant friendship. And God knit their souls together. And when they made covenant with each other, Jonathan literally said to David, God judge between me and you. God be between us. The Lord be between us. What's he saying, David? There's nothing between me and you but God himself. Nothing between me and my family and you and your family. Nothing but his love. Nothing but his faithfulness. Nothing but his goodness. Nothing but God himself. In covenant, we're one with each other. We are a house undivided. Amen. Amen. 
And this is where I'll leave you with uh, today in Ephesians chapter 4. And we may pick up with this next week. I feel like this is really good. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Okay. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 1. Paul writing to this church by the Spirit of God says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love. Why? Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Verse 4. There are seven bodies and three spirits just as you were called in 14 hopes of your calling and eight lords, 11 faiths, 12 baptisms, a few gods, a couple of fathers. Am I reading a bad translation? Help me out, church. What's the matter with all that? It's not what he said. What did he say? Verse four, there is, I want you to say it out loud with me every time we see it. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in, one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Then he begins to talk about the gifts that God gave to the church, the ministry gifts. Hey, that's a gift. That's a gift. The people that God has put in your life to minister the word to you, that's a gift. That's a gift. And he he outlined their function in verse 13, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. One. Say it out loud. One. Just one. Just one body. Just one faith, just one spirit, just one God, just one hope, one calling, just one. Just one. He said in there, just one Lord, which means you ain't Him. I'm not Him. You want to know a big reason that houses end up in division? Division? Because somebody else is trying to be Lord. And Jesus said, you know that the Gentiles lord it over them, but not so among you. That's the place in Scripture that we've used to be the foundation of our service teams for our church. That's where Jesus said, I'm among you as one who serves because the disciples were fighting over who's the greatest, who gets the highest place, who gets the highest position, hungry for that position, hungry to be able to tell people what to do and where to go, hungry for that little dose of power. Man's always been hungry for it. And Jesus said the Gentiles, people who don't know God, people who have no covenant with Him, they act like lords over their people. But this is what He said, not so among you. That was correction. He was correcting them and He's correcting us. So allow me just to echo His words, not so among us. I will never attempt to be your Lord. Sarah will never make attempt to be your Lord. Nor should you attempt to be each other's Lord because there's only one. I'm not Him. You're not Him. There's just one. And if we keep Him as the one Lord of our homes, 
This house will be undivided with one vision. Amen. Amen. Stand on your feet with me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Somebody say, we are a house house undivided. undivided. Thank you, Father. And a house undivided cannot fall, will not fall. If you've noticed, there's been a couple of times just in the last few months that the Lord has talked to us about what keeps the house from crumbling. Remember we talked several weeks ago about the foundation, foundation repair that was in the Renovation Transformation Series. What puts firm foundation under us? Jesus said, those who come to me, those who hear my words, and those who do them. Those who put them into practice. You're putting foundation beneath your feet. We're finding out today what else is going to keep this house up. What's going to keep this house from falling? Having no division. Undivided. Say it again. We are a house. Undivided. And we cannot fall. Father, I pray over your people today. I pray over this house that you've called us to build. Lord, this is the greatest joy, the greatest honor of our lives. And we ask you for your help and the increase of your grace, your strength, and your anointing to get the job done. Father, Sarah and I pray over this team that's present here today, our parking lot team, Lord. We are so thankful and grateful that you have stirred up hearts to be a part of this with us and those who are willing to stand outside in the courts of your house and be the first face that people see and to be the first representation of you. And I'm reminded in your word where it said that Jesus was the visible image of the invisible God. And I thank you, Father, that our team members, our parking lot team members are the very same. They are the visible image of the invisible God. They are the visible image of your love and your grace, your compassion. And Sarah and I speak blessing over their lives. And Lord, before we've even really held one official Sunday morning service here, I'm asking you to see the willingness of their heart, receive it as an offering, and open the windows of heaven above them and pour out a blessing so much, so rich, that there's not room enough to contain it. I pray that over all of our service teams, those who are at home watching yet to join us. Lord, I pray over every member of this family. And I thank you, Father, that you are building within this house, a house that cannot stand or that cannot fall. But I'm asking, Lord, as it is in this house, so be it in the houses of our church, of our families. May every one of our homes be, Lord, a a home and a house undivided that can not fall, that will stand. Thank you for it. Lord, we worship you today. I know what you're building is special. I know that this place has been in your heart from before the foundations of the world. And so we trust you, Father. We trust you to meet every need in this house, outside this house in the homes of every family represented here today, watching online. We trust you. You're the one and only Lord. Just one. We have no other gods before you. Just one. Just you. Thank you, Father. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. You know, if there's been anything in your home, any level of strife, any degree whatsoever, I want to encourage you, you can shut it down. It can be over just like that. We'll talk more about it in the weeks to come, but the first step in that is acknowledging that who's in the home is there as a gift from God. Can we do that today? 
Husbands, can we lead the way in this? Acknowledging that our wives and our children are gifts. Wives, can you, can you support that? Can you, can you come right alongside that and acknowledge that your husband, even though he may have boy brain from time to time, is a gift from God to you? Can we acknowledge that these children are precious gifts, special treasures? It'll change the atmosphere of our home. Thank you, Lord. Um, I know Sarah has something um, she needs to mention to you today, and then I'll let you pray, or I guess we pray. You can dismiss everybody. If you're watching today and you, you believe that God is leading you to make Legacy Church your home church, we want to encourage you to go online and fill out a service team form to be a part of this church. Uh, service to, to us is so invaluable and important to God, and it is to us as well. That's why you can see that we're starting to hold services for just our select service teams getting ready for the launch of the church. Um, so go online, especially if you have any gifts in the area of um, music, praise, and worship and you believe that God is leading you to be a part of the praise and worship teams here at Legacy Church, make sure to go online as soon as possible and fill out your form because we will be having and holding auditions over the next couple weeks. And we want to be able to contact you so that you can be a part of um, that ministry team here. So anyway, we love you online and we love you guys. Thank you for coming to church today. We believe you're going to have a great blessed week and we will see you again next week. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY and any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.